1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today.
2: Hey, it's Candace King and Kayla Yule, and we are directionally challenged. Yes we thought we would have everything figured out by the time we were in our 30s
3: and we don't we really don't and we're learning that day by day today is tuesday june 9th protests have been happening and still are happening in los angeles where candace and i live and all over the world there are so many emotions um happening within me personally I think it's so important for us to sit down and have this conversation. Candace, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you. And um, I know how important this is for us to have with our listeners as well. It's something we haven't really discussed on our podcast. And we know, now know this is something we want to continue to discuss. Every time I start to have a conversation about this, the biggest pit is in my stomach. And it's not just an emotional reaction. It's a physical reaction. It's a mental reaction. This is something that is so long overdue and something that is
2: affecting all of us. I'm happy that you and I, have, for all the conversations you and I have been able to have over the last week, two weeks, um, I can't believe I've accepted the fact that this idea that it was not my place to discuss racism in this country. And I I was so ill equipped to have any conversations about my white privilege, about racism, addressing racism. Um, and I, you know, and the fact is that even in the past, you know, week, two weeks is the first time that I'm hearing things like anti racism you know, being an anti-racist. All of these books, there are so many books that people, you know, specifically, you know, white people have been promoting on Instagram saying like, I'm going to go read these books and that's incredible. A lot of these books have been written for years. And so I think that's been the biggest um, realization for me is my failure just as a white woman and, and also as a white mother not being able to have these conversations. And... And my immediate reaction was that I felt that, oh my gosh, I need to, the only person or the only place in which I could get answers to how I was feeling or, you know, how to navigate this kind of eye-opening experience of my own white privilege was to talk with, you know, a black man or woman or black person and realizing how that's not what needs to happen right now you know the, as, a, as a white woman i need to take responsibility for my white privilege these are the conversations you know the fact that you and i have been having so many conversations kayla i think is really important right now at this point in um in our introductory kind of these introductory conversations my first time having you know discussions
3: right realizing that it is on us to educate ourselves and The conversations are important, but there's so much work that we can do ourselves first. And the fact that these conversations are just the beginning. There is so much that we need to continue to do. So um, on that note, we are going to sit down with Karen Fleshman today. She founded her company, Racy Conversations, in 2014 to inspire the first anti-racist generation in America. And they strive to surface hard truths to create shared understanding and responsibility for a culture of belonging.
0: I
4: would like to start, if we could, with an eight second moment of silence in memory of the people we have lost recently. Well, what a way to start. Yes. Yes.
3: I think we're all a little emotional after that. You take a little bit of time to reflect, and it's a wonderful way to start. Karen, we're so happy to have you here with us today. And um, we absolutely love the company that you have and everything that you stand for. Racy Conversations is a company you started way back in, I think, 2014. Talk to us a little bit about that, your mission, and what you guys do.
4: Sure. So I started my company in 2014 after a career in the immigrants' rights movement and also in workforce development. Uh, So I moved to New York City to help immigrants become citizens. We helped about 50,000 New Yorkers apply for their citizenship. And then in the post-911 economic downturn, our program got defunded. Right around that time, reports came out that said 50% of Black men in New York City don't have a job, and we have almost 200,000 young adult New Yorkers, almost entirely Black and Latinx, who are not in school, not working. And coming from the immigrants' rights movement, it was like, what? Like, how is that even possible? And then it wasn't even front page news. No one seemed to care about it, but I really cared. And so I spent 10 years of my career working with young adults and preparing them to go into corporate work environments. And through that, I became a mentor to many, many young adults of color. And my interactions with them uh, made me realize that everything I'd learned about race and racism growing up was harmful and inaccurate, and I was part of the problem. And then listening to their stories of the harm they were experiencing in the workplace coupled with Ferguson um, and specifically when Darren Wilson wasn't indicted for killing Mike Brown, uh, made me realize I wanted to shift focus from preparing young adults for the workplace to preparing the workplace for young adults of color. And that's what led to the creation of Racy Conversations. Along the line, I got very involved in police accountability activism. I took Basically, the whole year of two thousand and sixteen off to work on police accountability activism and uh, and then since the 2016 election i 've been very focused on white women specifically
2: when when you ha- When you began these workshops and these seminars, what was your what was your starting place when you were formulating you know the first thing that you would say, how to address the group? Where do you start that conversation?
4: I start the conversation by putting up a picture of my family and me when I'm like eight years old. Um, and I tell everyone, you know, this is what my family taught me about race and racism that um, racism is terrible, Dr. Martin Luther King is wonderful, and the way to not be racist is to be colorblind and to treat everybody the same. But because I grew up in a virtually all-white community, I never actually saw my parents do that. Um, Meanwhile, as I grew older and started to understand, well, why is there so much racial inequality? The story I got back was we used to have terrible racism and then there was a civil rights movement led by Dr. King, and now opportunities are distributed equally, and some families like ours work really hard, and that's why we have what we have, and other families choose not to, and that's why they're in the situation that they're in. And I think that's what about 90% of my white friends are telling their kids today, which is why a big part of my work is working with white parents and, and, teaching them why that is harmful and inaccurate. So I I bring that up at the beginning of my workshops and then I pair people up one-on-one and I I pose two questions. One, what is harmful and inaccurate about what my parents told me about racism and racial inequality? And two, how similar or dissimilar is it from what your parents taught you? And that's sort of the foundation of the conversation.
3: You know, one of the things that you teach that I love so much is you talk about the science of unconscious bias. And for those that need a, a little refresher, um, unconscious bias are social stereotypes about certain groups of people that we form outside of our conscious awareness. So, you know, you, you discuss a lot about how they're not permanent, that they're malleable, that they're, we can take steps to change our thoughts. Um, I'd love to know some of those steps. Can you um, go through those with us to actively overcome it?
4: So first of all, I think it's very important um, that we, we understand not only the science of unconscious bias, but we understand how and why these stereotypes were created and who they were created by. So in my workshops, I bring up the Declaration of Independence. I bring up, I I have a slide of the the signers of the Declaration of Independence with a red dot uh, around the face of every signer who um, was a slave owner. And the point that I'm trying to make is that our stereotypes were very intentionally created by wealthy white men in positions of power in order to accumulate more wealth and power. They were ingrained into every aspect of our society. From the very beginning of our society, they did not form out of a vacuum. And so this is very important when you think about how do you go about um, eliminating those deep-seated stereotypes that you have It's about understanding and recognizing this history, why it was rooted in history, um, and the behavioral patterns that we have today that are very much uh, originated in the time of slavery and in the time of genocide and land theft of Native Americans. So it's not just about the science of unconscious bias, but understanding how it was created. Um, As far as how how do I suggest people um, work on overcoming our bias? It's about, first of all, admitting that you have bias and admitting that we have anti-blackness, we have anti-indigeneity. We we believe not only um, subconsciously that black and and indigenous people are uh, lesser than human, uh, can withstand more pain, those types of things, but we also subconsciously believe that white people are superior, that white that white women in particular are weak and fragile and in need of protection, and that white men are powerful and smart and capable and should be in positions of power. And we also have subconscious um, bias that that like we feel more comfortable around certain people and other people feel make us feel more uncomfortable. So when we talk about overcoming that, it means initiating and strengthening as many relationships as we can with the people against whom we are biased and getting to know them as individuals and starting to repopulate those negative stereotypes and assumptions with actual people we know um and, and then through those relationships also sharing our social capital. So this is a big part of how white supremacy gets replicated is that um, you know, I live in the Bay Area, majority people of color region and a majority people color state, but nine times out of ten when my white friends invite me to something, almost everybody there is white. When my black friends invite me to something, I'm one of maybe two white people who are there. We literally don't know each other. And that means that white people are pretty much exclusively exchanging our social capital with other white people. And that's preventing other other folks from accessing like job opportunities, investment opportunities, all kinds of things. So I, I'm a firm believer that we need to sit and listen to each other's stories, and that's the kind of space that I create. I host interracial sisterhood conversations all across the country to get uh, women of color, white women, together in the same space, so that we can get to know each other and start to start to bridge the divide between us.
2: You've talked about the importance, you know, as a white mother just speaking with other white women and other white mothers about taking accountability and recognizing our own white privilege and educating ourselves. I have, I have completely avoided these conversations one because I similarly did not grow up in a household in which we talked about racism and you know, besides what I would learn about, you know, black history at school, which now I'm realizing was actually not exactly the clear picture of what really happened throughout centuries and centuries. You know, it would just be very whitewashed glimpses of um, the true history. Um, But at this point, I'm realizing that I've neglected being able to sit down with other white women to talk about race and to talk about white privilege. Why? Like, why did that feel... um, besides being uncomfortable, but I, I just realized that I don't understand why I was never even able to have that conversation or thought to have that conversation.
4: Well, that, that is a big aspect of white supremacy is, is systemic racism and kind of the, the longstanding denial among white people to even recognize that this is a problem, that this is just normal. And, and that there's nothing unusual about our society or the outcomes that different people experience in our society that's just part of the natural order. And when it comes to white women, we were actually imported to this country to fulfill that role. We were brought here from England um, in 1619 because the settler colonialists who who originally came over knew that they had to make the plantation an intergenerational enterprise, and that in order to maintain control in the society, they couldn't intermarry and or have or they couldn't rape and have children with um, with enslaved women or with indigenous women, they needed to have children with white women so that it would be really clear who was in charge. And that white women's role was to raise our children to hold these beliefs that this is the natural order of things and that there's nothing um, there's nothing uh, wrong or inhumane or immoral, or you know that there's that white people are superior, black people and Native Americans are inferior, and that's the way it was meant to be. And we have continuously, um, with each generation, shared that same story. So when it comes to public education. Um, You know, before the movie Birth of a Nation, which is the the first feature length movie ever made in the United States, there were a couple hundred thousand Klansmen, largely living in the South, uh, ex-Confederate soldiers. After that movie came out, Uh, 1915, the Ku Klux Plan became like the thing to do in 39 different states in small cities like Dallas, Indianapolis, Denver. Um, And this coincided with the 19th Amendment when white women got the right to vote. And they created like a women's auxiliary of the Ku Klux Klan, and it also coincided with the establishment of universal public education. And the head of the Ku Klux Klan at that time, a retired dentist from Dallas, Texas, wanted to seize control of the public education system, make sure that there were Ku Klux Klan people on the public education school boards to determine the curriculum so that we could continue to educate white children to hold these beliefs, to ignore uh, slavery, to ignore land theft and genocide of Native Americans, to never share that aspect of, of history and instead only teach this very whitewashed version of our history. And that's why you learn about it growing up.
3: And that's fascinating. I think it's just so, you know, there's such resistance to have the uncomfortable conversation. Right so what is that barrier that's keeping us from having the conversations that we should have been having years ago and we still need to continue to have today
4: I think the barrier is that it is very threatening to white people when we realize that our wealth our power our position in this society is not derived of our individual merit as we've been led to believe but instead is very much the outcome of generations of of policies that favored white people so you talk about in my own family my great-grandfather got off the boat and made his way to western nebraska and in 1888 he purchased 360 acres of land for 20 bucks from the u.s government whose land was that that was land that had been the the traditional territory of the Cheyenne, Arapaho, and Kiowa people who had been cleared off of that land, removed to reservations, and so then the government was able to sell that land to my great-grandfather. Why did they sell it to him? Because he was white, because he was Protestant. This is at the same time, you know, uh, after the Civil War, when many formerly enslaved people were now uh, living on the um, the same plantations where their, their forebears had been enslaved and forced to work as sharecroppers. They could have very well benefited from coming to Western Nebraska and obtaining a, um, a parcel of land like that, but they weren't allowed to. They, they were discriminated against. There were few um, black people who did uh, successfully homestead, but very few. Primarily they were white people and this was how we settled the entire Western United States. That parcel of land is still in my family's possession. Um, It's the foundation of my mother's college education and home ownership, it's the foundation of my college education and home ownership. It's not because I went to good schools and I worked my, my, uh, I worked hard. Yes, I did do those things. But had my family not had that parcel of land, which was 100% allocated to them because of their race, I could have very well uh, wound up in a very, very different situation. And so I think that um, it's very threatening to many white people to consider that we did not obtain what we have through our own merits and there's nothing inherently you know, good or better about us
2: when you do go into businesses, do you have these kinds of co- conversations that involve a lot of elements of history that people might not know? Are you really focused? How do you start the dialogue in the workplace?
4: Well, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I have it distilled down to, to just a couple of nuggets because as you can see, I can pontificate about history for a very long time. And I don't want to take up too much time in the conversation. The reason why I call my company Racy Conversations is because I think we learn best in conversation with each other. And so um, I try, you know, I I use some poignant case studies and examples and and, uh, parts of the Constitution, parts of the... Declaration of Independence. But then, yeah, how does this show up in contemporary society? How does this show up in the lived experience of people in the room? And most importantly, what can we do to get better so that it stops? Um, Because, uh, you know, I believe there are definitely ill-intentioned people who are intentionally causing harm. And I think there's a lot of other people like me who grew up in privileged environments and uh, would like to do better, but we don't have the self-awareness of what exactly it is that we're doing wrong. And so part of what I'm trying to get at is creating enough psychological safety um, by teaching people of privilege how to receive feedback that you're doing something wrong in such a way that's going to create safety for people of color uh, non, or, or people who don't have privilege across other axes to be able to point that out to you so that we can get better. As well as sharing like some overarching behaviors that, that, um, that privileged people do that are very harmful that we need to change so that we don't cause harm in the first place.
2: What are the most common things you hear in these workshops or seminars? Do you I I mean, you mentioned the idea of being colorblind. I was also raised with that idea that we're all colorblind. And that now obviously I am fully aware of how wrong that is. Um, Is that something you hear come up a lot in these conversations?
4: Yeah. So a lot of the uh, white people in my workshops, either their parents told them something very similar to what my parents told me or their parents just never mentioned racism or race at all. It was just completely a non-subject, um, for some of the non-black POC in my workshops, um, uh, especially those who had immigrant parents similar they their parents did not mention anything at all about race and racism their parents couldn 't you know they couldn 't explain it to their child um, they couldn 't understand it themselves so um there's there 's a wide variety and then for uh, a lot of the the black and latinx um, participants in my workshops, their parents. Um, gave them a talk of how to, how to protect themselves from the bombardment of white supremacy and the kind of harm that they could experience at the hands of the police, at the hands of white people in positions of authority and what to do in those situations to the extent they could to protect themselves.
3: You had specifically emailed us to discuss the Amy Coopers and the permit patties of this world and us as white women taking accountability for that. Um, Can you explore that with us?
4: Yeah. I think that part of white privilege is feeling like we don't have any responsibility for other white people or that we don't have anything in common with, other white people. So the reason why I entitled my blog post about Amy Cooper, white women, we are Amy Cooper, is because I know that Amy Cooper lives in me, you know? And I know that had I not had these early experiences um, that helped me to see that what I was doing was harmful and wrong, I very well could have turned out to be like Amy Cooper. And, uh, and I think it's very important that the white women who are not um, calling the cops on black people for inane reasons, um, be calling in and calling out and reaching and teaching the white women who are, as well as reaching and teaching the white women who are just sort of neutral. And the reason why I was so excited when you reached out to me is that I really do believe white millennial women can be transformational in our society. And I I really want to speak to white millennial women about why uh, not only is it a moral imperative that you change, but it is in your own self-interest that you change and you become, uh, that you unite with your with your pure millennials of color and transform our society uh, for the benefit of all. We're
2: going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50. Luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com
0: style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.
4: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good
2: We're back. What are the long-term steps that we take as white women to continue this conversation, to continue our education, to be better white mothers raising white children in this world? Um, as we've seen, you know, obviously everyone's posting photos of reading reading white fragility and everything that they're doing right now, which is incredible. But what can we continue to do as white women? to be allies to the black community, and to to encourage each other to step up, to be those millennial women of change.
4: Yes. Um, So there's several books that I recommend that I think are particularly helpful. I really like the book White Rage by Carol Anderson. Um, She explains the whole history of white black backlash to black advancement. And I think that's very important for understanding what is going on right now. Another book that I would highly recommend is When They Call You a Terrorist, um, Patrice Coulour um, uh, memoir. And I would highly recommend, she's extremely busy right now because she's leading uh, all of these incredible protests in Los Angeles, but you should definitely have her on your podcast uh, to talk and 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 share her beautiful, um, she has so many great interviews and she has a great interview with Jane Fonda where they talk about how you're collaborating. Um, and and for, as far as like parents, a couple of great books to get started is, um, this book is Anti-Racist. This is by Tiffany Jewell and Aurelia Durand. And this is stamped um, racism, anti-racism, and you by Ibram Kendi and Jason Reynolds, um, and th- and you know a lot of white parents are like, I don't know how to explain this to my kids. I I can't even understand it. Sit down and read these books with your kids and figure it out together. And you would be surprised. Like Gen Z kids are so far advanced. Like they understand these issues on such a visceral level. Like my kids are way way more anti-racist than i am you know i'm learning from them in so many ways um but i would say build your analysis um there's also some great movies i'll send you i just wrote a blog post about all this i do encourage uh don't sit on the sidelines in these protests we need to be part of the protests but don't um you know make sure that when you you show up, you show up in the right way. So, so not colonizing the protest, don't make it into a photo op. Listen to the leaders of the protests. Do the tactics that they do. If you are not prepared to physically protest, um, you know, you can donate to bail funds. You can contribute your professional skills. There's many different things. And as my friend said to me, this isn't even, the boot camp stage. We are in the recruitment phase. This is going to be a long, long journey. I also really, really encourage people of privilege to become involved in politics, become involved in police oversight. Um, this is the only way we're going to transform and actually defund the police. And right now in um, LA, uh, there's a, a big move to. Um, to to defund your jail system, to change the whole carceral system. A couple of other really good resources for white women in particular, I highly recommend two TV shows, Good Trouble, which is the continuation of The Fosters. It, it really does a fantastic job of showing um, how racism, sexism plays out in in the workplace and in the community and the way in particular that white women, the role that we play in enforcing racism and sexism, and also Little Fires Everywhere by Hulu, such a great show. Like every, I, oh, it was incredible. It, um, it really shows the dynamics between black women, white women, and, and how much we stand to gain uh, white women when we, when we decide that we want to live a different life and we want to live a life of freedom and liberation. And, and that, that I think is the main important thing to realize is that black people are out there fighting for their liberation, but our liberation is bound up in theirs. And when they get free, we will all be free and we can't sit this out white millennials please millennials surpassed boomers as the largest age group in the electorate and in the workforce in 2019 so if white millennials decide to unite 43 percent of millennials are people of color 47 percent of gen z are people of color if you flip anti-racist and you unite, you contract, you have so much power and the same system that mutilates and tortures black bodies is the system that that gives you the privilege of being directionally challenged. And you may think that that's okay, but it's actually harmful, like find find your purpose, find your direction and find empathy and you can make this society so much better for everybody.
2: What do you have to say for white female millennials specifically? I know I've heard this and I've experienced moments of this as well, who say, I just don't want to say the wrong thing.
4: Whatever, whatever harm you will experience for quote, saying the wrong thing is so minuscule. I mean, what, like your ego will be bruised, your feelings will be hurt, as opposed to Brianna Taylor being killed in her own bed, as opposed to George Floyd being suffocated to death under the knee of a police officer, as opposed to Ahmaud Arbery being hunted down by, by a father and son. Um, and, we just have to get out over our discomfort. So for my book, um, I've interviewed some of the most amazing women of color activists. And one of one of them, uh, Desiree Attaway, she said to me in the interview, white women are physically afraid of black women. And I think it's true. I think I had that. And I remember so clearly the first time I had a black woman boss, I walked in her office and literally like my eyes Eyes kind of popped out, and and my mouth gaped open because I just had such a strong image of what a boss would look like, and she wasn't it, you know. But the more that I learned from her, the more that I, um, I saw her 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 incredible intelligence and 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 communication and leadership skills. The the you know it just it had such a positive impact on me. Um, Another uh, interview that I did was with Linda Sarsour, uh, co-founder of the Women's March. And she said, white women confuse comfort and safety. She said, white women feel uncomfortable when they're around Black women, when we're around women of color, because we feel like we might be judged or something if we say the wrong thing, or we have this deep-seated fear. Um, But actually, we are so safe we're so safe because those women are fighting against the patriarchy those women are fighting to to get us all free and we're actually when we're in our comfortable situation surrounded in privilege um that is when we are actually unsafe because i know for myself you know very similar to 15 Blasey ford i was sexually assaulted Uh, i was raped in in high school you know i grew up Uh, in a, in a, in a family that was, um, very loving, but had its challenges. My dad had, uh, suffered from alcoholism, many, many different things going on in white culture that we're silent about, but are actually really harmful. Um, and, and yeah, we have to overcome our fear of saying the wrong thing. First of all, um, I'll send you a link of a great study to help you understand why you're saying the wrong thing and what to do differently. Um, Don't seek to be liked. And and here's another great tip for not saying the wrong thing. Just shut up and listen. If you spend 80% of your time listening and don't say anything at all, and, and you'll start to learn how to say the right thing. Beautifully said. Thank you.
3: Why is it so important for us as white women to discuss this and white privilege in general with other white women?
4: Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think one, we have to be the one to reach and teach and intervene with our peers. So going back to uh are segregated social circles if you're in an all-white social circle or you're in an all-white family and people are saying and and doing harmful things and you're not intervening in that you are complicit in in keeping that that uh those racist set of beliefs going or let's say you're you're in an all-white social circle, maybe people aren't saying anything explicitly racist, but they're just not even acknowledging what is going on in our society at all, or um, then you need to be the one to disrupt that and to bring it up and to say, hey, what are we gonna do about this? Here's what I'm doing. Um, I also think it's very important, I've been doing a lot of listening sessions um, for, Um, companies, employees, and white people in these listening sessions are grieving. I mean, they're they're really crying because they feel tremendous guilt, but then they feel guilty about feeling guilty when they're like, I should be centering the feelings of the people who are actually harmed by this, which is causing them to feel even more guilty. So I think it's really important that we as white people metabolize our guilds, and um, there's a great resource, Resmaa Manakam. Um, he wrote a book called My Grandmother's Hands, and on his website, he has a, an e-course for confronting our grief about white supremacy as white people, and I highly recommend doing that in the company of other white people, because we don't wanna burden black people. I mean, I, I can't even so. One of my friends called me, she said, Karen, I'm over here consoling my four-year-old daughter who dreamt that the police killed me and I can't can't even talk to her because my phone keeps ringing of white people seeking absolution from me for their racism. I'm like, (laughs) if there was ever a time to center black people's feelings, white people, do not be burdening Black people with processing our feelings right now, okay? Now that said, once we have metabolized our grief and we can come correct, then I think it is extremely important and I've been very, very inspired to see so many white people step up in these protests and the fact that they're occurring in all 50 states, the fact that they're occurring in very small towns, I think it is extremely important that we join in this struggle and that we, we, in so doing, we know that we are struggling for everybody's liberation. And speaking directly to millennials, I want to talk. I don't know if you want to ask me another question and
2: then I'll talk. No, go ahead. Please, please speak directly
4: to millennials.
0: millennials. Our question, Karen,
2: is will you speak directly to millennials? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let me speak directly
4: to millennials. So, white millennials, you have been so screwed over by white supremacy. And let me explain why. You think about the mass incarceration of black and brown people um that not only causes tremendous harm to black and brown people that is a huge allocation of public money away from public education away from university systems into the carceral state this is part of the reason why you have so much educational debt, because that is where money that should be funding public education system is instead going to incarcerate people. You want to talk about why you graduated into such a terrible job market, why you um, are having such a difficult time buying homes. That all goes back to the subprime mortgage lending, again, targeted to black and brown first time home buyers that resulted in the 2008 economic downturn that caused the entire global economy to grind to a halt after that then you graduated into that economy that messed up your careers now those homes those same homes um that the the mortgages the subprime mortgages have been made by the banks they foreclosed on those homes the um the black and brown families lost all the money that they had saved up to make that down payment. Um, and then the the banks sold those homes to Jared Kushner, BlackRock. Those are now the largest homeowners in the country. And this is why it's so difficult for millennials to buy homes because there's no homes out there to buy. These are just a few examples of how the system of white supremacy has become so harmful to white millennials that it is 100% in your self interest to get rid of the system and to create a fair and equitable society for everybody and i'm so proud of you you think about who are who are the who are the people the real freedom fighters who are leading this They are Black women millennials like Alicia Garza, like Patrice Coulour. You have so much incredible leadership in your generation. And I just hope that you will unite behind their leadership and follow them because they know what to do to get us all free.
2: Well, I mean, on that note, (laughs) thank you so much. Um, I really didn't think that we would be talking, I'm sure the fact that your name is Karen is not lost on you at this oh, yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> you've had this conversation already. Um, but Karen, thank you so much for for talking with us today and for educating us, for educating our listeners. Um, we cannot wait to read your book. It's coming out next year, 2021. The title is White Women we need to talk, doing our part to end racism. If our listeners want to learn more about you and your company, they can go to racyconversations.com. And the Racy Conversations Mighty Network. So I'm trying to
4: create an online community for these conversations because it's I need I need a more streamlined way to, to um connect with my people. And I'll send you a link. I just did a podcast interview. Mm-hmm with my friend, Karen Clopton about hashtag Karen. So if you wanna hear me, they call me on Reddit. They nickname me um, Common Sense Karen. So that's (laughs) my claim to fame.
3: I love it. Well, Karen, thank you for being one of the first, the first of many conversations like this on this podcast. We are honored to have had it with you. I think one of the things I'm really taking from our conversation with Karen, because it is one of the first conversations that we're having like this, is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I know that's why we'd started Directionally Challenged, because we, we wanted to get more comfortable um, talking about things and learning. Well, this is one of the most important discussions to have. And I don't know if we'll ever be completely comfortable to have these conversations, but maybe that's the point of it. And maybe we just embrace that and continue
2: it. We have to, and I want to. And I. every time I hear someone say, you know, this is a marathon, like I, I feel that by watching you know, these beautiful peaceful protests and these peaceful protesters, I, I'm i so inspired by going like, yeah, like, okay, look at this incredible, look at this, like this, I not only am I wanting this to mean change, but this has to mean change. And what can I do to be a part of this change? How can I now show up to support Black Lives Matter and to understand what it means to be an ally to the black community. And I understand now that this is not something that happens in a week or a weekend or in a meme, but that will, that will, you know, it will be a marathon and I want to sign up for that marathon. Well, I'll join that marathon
3: with you. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Directionally Challenged. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. We love you and we'll see you next week.
1: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping
0: and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.